Ballad Friday, Bette Midler. The song was first recorded by Kamal in 1982. You'd know Kamal, Stephen. Uh, it was in every record collection in the late 70s. But back That's to Bette right, Midler. That's right, sure was. Yeah, back to Bette. She was the one who really took the song places. And uh, as an aside, this is the most popular song in the world for funerals, uh, beating out Celine Dion's my Heart Will Go On, and Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. I'm not quite sure if I'd want this song uh, at my funeral, Moata. Nonetheless, it's not a bad ballad, is it? Uh, and actually, I was just doing my very best lip-syncing. Yes. And then, in the, I'm in the little studio by myself. And then I looked up and realised there's a security camera in here with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope they got a good show, whoever was watching that. They go straight to TikTok, Moata. Very good. Very good. I wonder if they, they thought of this one for the King's coronation. You know, well, make a change, wouldn't it, from Zadok the Priest? <laughs> yeah. I'd stick with Zadok the Priest personally, but look, what a song, huh? <laughs> Wind Beneath My Wings. It's 4.36. The panel are in Z National. Moata Tamaita with me, also Stephen Jacoby. An absolute pleasure to have your company today. Final notices to be given to those who haven't completed their census forms by Tuesday 9th of May should have done it on Census Day, March the 7th. Many didn't. The overall census response rate is 86% so far. And as of 9am Friday the 5th of May, today, 4,455,894 returned their forms. It is compulsory. Fines up to $2,000 are given out if you fail to fill one. Last census in 2018, the response was a woeful 81.6%. Uh, and the 0800 census helpline is open until June uh, for questions. With us is Associate Professor Polly Atatoa-Ka, uh, Tengera, the Institute for Population Studies at the University of Waikato. Uh, welcome to the panel. Thanks very much, Wallace. Kia orana. Kia orana What do you make of the response rate thus far? Well, um, I think it's really important that we understand that the census is a unique opportunity to collect high-quality data on our population. And the most important measure of quality that we have really is completion. So obviously that total New Zealand completion rate is not great, um, but more importantly, I think, is the lower completion rate for really important communities that must be counted. And I'm a member of the Pacific Data Sovereignty Network, and uh, the most recent estimate of only two-thirds, so 66% potentially of Pacific people so far counted in the census, is really just not enough to provide us with the high-quality data that we need. Yeah, so this is actually a really significant issue, while we are, which is why we are on the panel discussing it. Fairly low there, isn't it, compared to uh, uh, the, the other uh, other data. Um, for those who don't know, what is the impact then of having fairly low rates? Yeah, right. So poor data quality leads to poorly designed interventions and programs that rely on census data. So that includes how we resource our community organisations, how we provide infrastructure to our services like schools and health services. And those are services that actually have a mandate to achieve equity. So we need that equitable quality data. Uh, secondly, I think poor quality data leads with 
real issues with the accuracy of the important denominators that we use when we're looking at our population. I heard your panellists talking earlier about um, measles and immunisation, about mortality. So things like fertility, mortality, illness rates, immunisation coverage, all of that needs population denominators to understand Uh, who we've missed. Interesting, isn't it? Those topics are connected. Yeah, that's right. And I also heard your panellists talking about really important characteristics of our population, like the strength of single parents, like grandchildren um, being raised by grandparents, and one of your panellists moving to Hawke's Bay. So, you know, (laughs) understanding how our population change is, you know, something we can do with with a high-quality census. Moata, let's bring you in. Do you think that the reluctance to complete the census among um, some communities is because they're afraid that that information is somehow going to be used against them? Because you you do you know you have is there a sort of misunderstanding about how even though you're putting your name and all your details on the form that yeah. that that all the data kind of gets stripped away from from that and used in ways that can't identify you? Yeah, uh, and I think that there is a complex combination of challenges that lead to these undercounts that we've got, in particular mm-hmm. undercounts in certain communities. And trust and confidence is a really important one. Mm-hmm. So not just trust in the privacy and the confidentiality and the safeguarding that is wrapped around census and that is managed um, really carefully by Stats New Zealand, but also, as you say, trust in, in giving up our information to government agencies, confidence that that information is going to be used for benefit. I mean, a lot of the statistics that we see in the news are negative statistics. Mm. Um, so one of the things that's really important that is actually collected in the census is some of the more positive elements like how our households are structured so that single parents can be supported, how volunteers are, are, are led in our community, voluntary, voluntary work is led in our community. So yes, absolutely, I do think much more work around um, ensuring that we have trust and confidence in both the, the infrastructure around the data, but also in how it's being used and who's okay. making decisions about Stephen that. Stephen Jacoby, let's bring you in. Yes, I guess the thing I was wondering about was what is the, the, the single most important thing that we could do uh, to get better results? I mean, obviously, there are many things we need to be focusing on. But what, in your opinion, is the most important thing that we need to be doing? Well, speaking, I think, from as a, as a Pacific Data Sovereignty Network member, I think it's about trusted faces and trusted places. Um, resourcing those with trusted relationships in the communities, in those targeted communities where we know uh, Pacific people live. Um, We saw in COVID that having resources and community-led activities to ensure that uh, our community members actually trust what's happening and what they're providing um, is how we can get things to happen. And perhaps just a supplementary, Wallace. Yeah, sure. Do you think that that lesson from from the pandemic has been learned uh, sufficiently and that we may be able to increase, you know, the trusted voices, trusted communities aspect uh, in relation to census and other ways, other things we have to do with communities. 
I think the the politic answer to that is is yes and no. It's been learnt in some places, but I certainly see also as a public health physician some real silos in the different sectors of the services mm. that need to learn these lessons. Mm. So silos compared mm. to health versus mm. education versus our mm. housing system, uh, mm. and actually also still some barriers for actually providing true resources to community organisations and then just letting them get on with it. Very good to have yeah, you well, on, uh, Polly. Trust I love it. Mm. Yeah, mm. thank you for your time. <laughs> uh, Associate Professor Polly Atatoa there from the uh, Tengera Institute for Population Studies at uh, the University of uh, Waikato and a Pacifica population data scientist there and quite amazed, quite frankly, about the response and volume uh, of times you met and talked to strangers. People are saying, Wallace, you've got a problem. Um, maybe it's you, which is pretty personal, <laughs> quite frankly. Oh, Wallace, they don't I know thought, you like we know you. Exactly. I thought the listeners were on my side, on the panel. Uh, not always. In fact, a lot of the time, quite not, saying I've got a problem. Um, no, I don't have a problem. I just think that people can't um, – I don't think I, – I don't. maybe I don't want to talk to strangers anyway. Um one person says, I travel for four years through 65 countries. If you didn't learn how to start conversations with strangers, then you'd be lonely. I regularly chat to others I've never met before. It's actually what Kiwis are known for. Uh, walking dogs might attend anywhere, anytime. Chat with strangers, says, uh, signed off, chatty woman. It's 4.45. The panel are in the national. Now, first it was Wellington. We talked about that yesterday. Now there's been commuter chaos during rush hour Auckland. Kiwi Rower blames recent bad weather and humidity on this morning's overhead line problem causing major train cancellations. The state-owned enterprises already being reviewed for the train disruption in the capital. They met, uh, in fact, there was a select committee yesterday on this, and Auckland Transport, they've met with Kiwi Rail this afternoon over the debacle, calling the cancellations hugely disappointing and frustrating. And I thought, well, who's across this story? I know, senior writer at the New Zealand Herald, Simon Wilson, who also takes public transport when he's not riding his bike. Kia ora, Simon. Kia ora, Wallace. What a debacle. Were you no, caught? I know. Yeah. Were <laughs> no, you caught I'm, in today? I'm on a bus route, it's best for me, so I was on a bus today. Um, lucky. Yep. So, rain and humidity being blamed for today's disruption uh, is... Oh, we won't be having any more of that, so it'll be okay. <laughs> is that what it is? So, what, what's the issue? <laughs> so, do you, do you believe that? Is that the case? What's, what's the larger story here? Oh, I think the larger story is that we're talking about a, 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 an asset uh, that's been degraded for 30 years. Kiwi Rail, or the, the New Zealand Railways, uh, was... Uh, sold off in the early 1990s um, and uh, the consequence of that has been that uh, whether you're talking about the ferries with yeah. the rail in Wellington, the rail in Auckland, uh, the main track line, um, it's been a systematic de- uh, degradation of the asset um, and we are, we are seeing the consequences of that. We're paying the cost uh, and why all of a sudden, it just seems to be happening at one time. Is it coincidence? Is it because uh, it's been kept out of the headlines? What is it? 
I, I think that's a good question, and we'll need the inquiry to uh, to find the answer to that. We certainly need the inquiry that, as, as you mentioned, is happening now in Wellington. We need that extended to Auckland. Now, this isn't the only issue that we're facing in Auckland with Kiwi Rail, because, of course, they are the because they own the tracks, uh, they are the people who announced suddenly last year uh, that they were going to have to stop rail services while they redid the tracks. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I really feel for, for some of the other transport operators in this. Uh, I had a colleague this morning ranting to me about Auckland Transport, and they've got it all wrong again. It isn't Auckland Transport. It isn't the Greater Regional Council uh, in Wellington. Um, you know, the it, it is Kiwi Rail who own the tracks, uh, and Kiwi Rail, who, uh, which has been, as I said before, so grossly underfunded, Kiwi Rail that is responsible for, for the current problems. Uh, Stephen Jacoby, let's bring you in. Yes, I wondered about, uh, though, the other element here, which is the um, you know, impact of the changing climate on infrastructure. You know, some of these things might have been able to be tolerated if everything was just fine, but you've got now the weather having a much greater effect on uh, on all aspects of infrastructure. Is that the case, Simon? Um, I, Stephen, I, I, that's certainly true in relation to roads. Uh, one of the reasons we have um, so many more potholes, you know, so many breaks in our roads now is is that um, uh, the, the land is waterlogged underneath them. Now, it's one of the reasons. Another reason is a lot of trucks. But in, when it comes to railways, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a lay person in this. I would associate um, electricity electrical arcing with weather. Um, I've seen that and we know that happens. So presumably the, the, um, it, it, it is a factor. Um, but just how cute it is in terms of the rail, um, I don't know. Moata. Oh, look, at least you've got trains. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've well, got right. trams. You've got trams, right. Moata. Uh, mm, a tourist tram that goes around, just does a loop around the central city. Mm. That's not public transport. No. It's a bit of a bugger, isn't it? Just right when we're trying to encourage everybody to use public transport more to, you know, have less of an impact on the climate, the climate goes, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And, and um, it, you know, the fact that the climate will be going nope <laughs> more often and, and more violently uh, means that the um, the pressure becomes more real in this, and it's not just—it's not just climate either. It's, you know, in, in a in a place like Auckland, um, if you want to uh, address congestion, you've got to find ways to for people to go. Yes, it's a good idea to catch the bus. It's a good idea to catch the train. You know, that will work for me. So that means those those networks have to be reliable, cheap enough, efficient enough, um, and we're a long way off achieving that right now. Very good, Simon. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. That's uh, Senior Writer at the New Zealand Herald, Sign, uh, Simon Wilson. It's 10 to 5. The panel RNZ National, as always, checkpoint with Lisa Owen uh, just after 5. And, of course, the coronation tomorrow. Stay tuned to RNZ for all the latest details on that, not to tomorrow, but into Sunday as well. But I really wanted to um, raise this this afternoon. Invercargill City Councillor Nigel Skelt has resigned from his role following sexual harassment allegations. And now another councillor, Peter Kett, has apologised for his statement about commenting on women's looks. When Kett was told about sexist comments a fellow councillor had experienced, he told the Otago Daily Times he would probably take it as a compliment. He also dismissed the comments as just part of life. So to tell us about her experiences of 
being a woman in local politics, we are joined by Invercargill councillor Alex Crackett. Alex, kia ora. Welcome to the panel. Kia ora. Thank you. Nice to have you here, Alex. Inappropriate behaviour here. I mean, have you had to endure this type of thing at work at the Invercargill City Council or otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. It's just something that I've experienced pretty much since I joined local government uh, in 2016. Um, Can you expand on that? How so? Um, Well, when I first got on council as a young woman at 25 years old, um, I was given a nickname called TP by a couple of councillors, and that was a euphemism um, for my breasts that was Twin Peaks. Um, I was also referred to uh, or introduced to, in a professional forum as somebody's lovely assistant, and it just, yeah, had a profound effect. Yeah. I, Alice, I can imagine, was there, any, was there any person you could go to to raise this as an issue? What was the, what was the follow-up? What was the procedures um, following those highly um, derogatory comments? I mean, there, there is a process in our code of conduct, but it's quite a hard threshold, even if you follow that road, uh, because it's such a public mm. forum, you know, it's of, of great public interest, you're, you're immediately fighting, especially as a young woman and new into the system, uh, people that have been there for, you know, quite long-standing um, relationships and networks and reputation. So, you, you know, you're already fighting for credibility, but then you're also fighting against that. So it can be... Quite a public and horrible fight to have. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Well, we've got a panel with us, and uh, Mawata and Stephen joining me. Uh, Mawata, let's bring you in. Oh, what can I say? Um, just, just love when um, men like to tell us how not a big deal sexual harassment is. Like, how yeah. would you know? Yeah, <laughs> and yet they've, they've got all these opinions about oh, it's just a, you know. Um, can men just grow up? How how are these men, adult men, um, you know, they, they go to school, they get educated, they are entering the workforce in professional roles. How are they getting this far into their lives without realising that talking about your colleagues' breasts is not a great thing to do at, at your job? Yeah. Yeah. They've just got um, no interest in changing a system that suits them so well. And can I ask also as a follow-up to that, Alex, uh, what Mwite is saying, to, to what extent, I mean, Peter Kitt's response was that he'll probably take those compliments, comments as a compliment. To what extent are these types of attitudes uh, systemic within this sort of organisation? Is it um, a one-off here and there, or is it that sort of coverall sort of attitudes amongst men there? I mean, I will, I will say the standard and the level of accountability around our council table now has certainly risen, but they, they do happen frequently enough for it to be a problem. Right. And, yeah. Mm, Stephen? Gosh, Wallace, uh, makes you feel ashamed, doesn't it, really? How can this possibly happen in today's, you know, this day and age? And haven't these men got mothers and daughters and Goodness knows what, just appalling. But look, um, I wonder, um, um, Alex, if you could comment on this aspect and and uh, more strength to you for persisting uh, in serving the local community. But I mean, 
Um, is it worse in local government than it is in other parts of society, do you think? And does that have something to do about with about the people that, you know, that we're getting into local government, apart from your um, good self, of course? But I mean, uh, what do you think? Is it worse in local? I mean, we've seen this all over the country in different council situations, mm. haven't we? Yeah, I think I've I so had the most experiences in a, a particular demographic, I guess you'd say, and that particular demographic is consistently more likely to be in politics or political roles. They're you know the ones that get elected. So I guess as the system changes and we're seeing more diversity across the spectrum being appointed and being elected to local government, the attitudes that come with that are changing. But it's not until we start seeing an accurate reflection of our communities across um, mm. our councils that the whole system will change as a society. Now, uh, Alex, and, and you, what is all, all strength I, to those people who yeah. are like Alex, who are prepared to stand up to it? Absolutely, uh, Steve. And I just wanted to ask your. Um, uh, Invercargill City Council colleague, Councillor Rhea Bond, Alex, uh, who issued uh, an ultimatum about resigning if he didn't, what, would like that wants the council to have an independent training and education to ensure appropriate workplace behaviour. Um, what's your perspective uh, on that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that we can always improve. I also think that there should be... Um, some sort of solution for these kind of complaints where it's a completely independent uh, process that protects the, the person coming forward. I think that's really needed for, for everyone right across the country um, rather than just my council specifically. Yeah, and what advice would you have for you know, young politicos, young women getting into local body politics listening to this today? Um, that it's not going to be easy, but fight for it. Um, it's incredibly an incredibly important conversation to have and, and standing for these roles is incredibly report, important that we see uh, the reflection of ourselves in these leadership positions. Um, in terms of advice, I guess it's going to, I hope it's going to get better and I, I guess by speaking out, I would really like to see a change in the sense that the next people that come after us don't have to experience this kind of behaviour. Very nice to have you on the program, Alex. Kia Thank um, you for being with us today. Mm. Yeah. That is Invercargill uh, City Councillor Alex Crackett uh, on that story that Invercargill City Councillor Nigel Scout resigned from his role following uh, sexual harassment uh, allegations. Well, it's been a wonderful show, both of you, Moata and Stephen. I really thank you for your uh, time on Friday afternoon. Uh, we, we weren't able to get to the Fruju story, uh, that the delectable grapefruit and lemon Fruju is no more. That's the tart one, uh, Moata. It's the one that was the best flavour Gone. Lemon lime. Sad. Lemon lime forever. <laughs> Lemon lime forever. Yep. Hey, both of you have a great weekend. Moana Tomato, Stephen Jacoby, and to you across Yoda the nation. Wallace. Thank Thanks, you, Wallace. panel family, for listening. I'm Wallace Chapman, back Monday, 345. Thank you to Charlie Drever for her great work. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. <laughs>